This is episode nine of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. I hope you had a great three-day weekend last week. I certainly did. I got some good family time with a, a cousin coming in from out of town and my hubby making a delicious dinner for the family. And I got some hiking. I got some gardening. It just really provided a well-needed pause. You know, it's been a full few months for me, a good full few months. It started out with a visit to Portland where my book, Fired Answer, won a Benjamin Franklin Best Motivational Book Award. I was so excited about this. And I got to take my son on a date that evening since he lives there. It was such a special evening to get to share that with him. And then we were off to New York City where I had some great, albeit unexpected quiet time because my knee just wasn't cooperating with my original walking plans. I had plans to walk all around the city, but the universe delivers just what we need when we need it. And it provided me with a couple of days to get really reflective in some new programming I've been working on for entrepreneurs. So it, was, it wasn't the kind of vacation that I wanted in New York City or I was planning on in New York City, but it gave me some, just some great time to slow down and spend some time on some things that I've been wanting to work on. And I'm super excited about what's unfolding here because it's, it's integrating teachings I did back in the corporate world with my, my coaching work of today and it, it's all about helping people become thought leaders. It's about putting your voice out in the world and being heard and being seen. And I keep seeing the need for this. And I'm excited to launch this new program in the coming months. And that, that those couple days in New York really gave me time to put really good quality time on this. So I was really thankful for, for that unexpected space that I got, that unexpected pause. And then I was off to speak to the Women of Mergers and Acquisitions Network about awakening your inner fire and taking your voice out into the world. And it was a full house, even in in the midst of the last snowstorm of the season. And what I find really interesting is how much I've grown to love speaking to a room full of women, women, women. That was something that I didn't like to do when I first started down this pathway several years ago. And I just have gotten to the place where I just light up. It just ignites me to get out and speak to a room full of women. So that was a lot of fun. And then last week we had our three-day brave retreat for entrepreneurs, which is was about leading them through how to build their brand and their business from the inside out. Um, some really good work got done in the room, some amazing women doing amazing things. And, you know, I just, I get so thankful for my clients that I have and for the women who are coming in my life that are really ready to just get out there and do their thing. So it's been a lot of fun. So as you can see, it was a well-deserved play weekend this past weekend where I got to focus on all that makes Cami happy. And that's exactly what we talk about in today's episode of Extraordinary Women Radio with the delightful Beate Chalette. We dig into why happy is so good for us. Oprah recently named Beate as one of the 50 must-follow women entrepreneurs of 2017, and I understand why. She's a successful entrepreneur, she's the author of Happy Women, Happy World, and she's founder of The Women's Code, something she'll share more about in our interview. 
but suffice it to say that we share a huge passion for empowering women. Welcome, Beate. I had the opportunity to read some of your book, Happy Woman, Happy World this weekend, and to listen into some of your videos. And I got so excited about this conversation today. We share so much of the same beliefs about empowering women and the importance of women coming together in collaboration and support. You're such a perfect fit for Extraordinary Women Radio. So welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Cami. I'm pretty excited to share with you and your audience some of you know my principles and hopefully will make some um, inspiration or give some inspiration to some of the women who listen to your amazing podcast today. Yeah, it's all about the ripple effect, right? It's getting people out doing their work, doing what they love to do. It needs all of us to make a change. That's right. That's right. So as you know, I love stories of transition and following the signposts. And I'm guessing that your pathway and your journey to doing the work you love today was so full of signposts along the way. You know, those clues that the universe scatters about our life and helps, helps us find the work that we're meant to be delivering in the world. You know, I know for me, sometimes the signposts are easy to spot and other times we have to go through all sorts of life struggles to get the answers that we're seeking. I've heard you talk about your decade of bad luck that eventually led to selling your company to Bill Gates. First of all, what a story. <laughs> it sounds great afterwards, right? <laughs> right. Right. But when you're in the midst of it, it probably, you don't see where the road is taking you and uh, it's probably kind of scary. It's absolutely scary. I compare this to, you know, when you go skiing, you could be perfectly happy on the green runs at the bottom of the mountain, but in order to get that amazing view, that 360 view, you're going to have to make it all the way to the top of the mountain and prepare for double black diamond. Right, right. And I, I totally get that as a Colorado girl. So it's it's like, that's a great analogy for me to, to tune into. So <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure there were all kinds of signposts that were guiding you that, 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 you know, got you that to take that leap in a new direction over those 10 years. Can you tell and share that story for our listeners? Um, those, you know, that 10 years of, of, of getting to the point where you sold your company, what happened? Well, I'm glad to share the story. So I, you know, consider me the unruly, uh, the unruly girl, the one that, you know, took the aptitude test in school. And then they were asking me if I was afraid of heights, if I liked being outside and if I was afraid of, you know, schlepping uh, heavy, heavy stuff. And I said no. And then the aptitude test revealed that I should have been a roofer. Oh, and a roofer. not to say, <laughs> not, not to say that I don't, uh, that I have any problem with roofers or anything like that, but that wasn't really entirely the career goal that I had in mind. So I learned very early on that my, my ideas might not be sort of the traditional path. And then when I became a photographer and I did, uh, graduate from photography school and I worked with a photographer and here I am making it happen and the helicopter is bringing an Audi on top of a glacier uh, for a photo shoot and I'm going like wait a minute I'm outside I'm definitely schlepping stuff and I am not afraid of hides oh I'm doing exactly what the aptitude 
test said it just looks at the result was a little bit different. Isn't that funny how so, when we see these different, yeah. um, we see these, these gifts that we have and we tune into them, but so often we just put ourselves into a box of, oh, this, this fits a roofer category versus this, this much grander vision of what you created. Absolutely. And I think that that, was, that sort of sets the tra- a trajectory for the future to just think about um, what is it that we're good at and then what can we, what can we do with it. You know, and obviously I did not become a roofer. I uh, decided very early on that I was really better at the business side of things. In, and I went into the creative arts. I became a photo editor at German L magazine. Uh, a startup at that time. And then I decided I was going to do something adventurous and immigrated to the United States, became an artist representative and a producer. And, you know, things kind of were going up, up and down and up and down, you know, it's like, um, every time I went ahead, then something would happen. Like I lost a key photographer, then I had to replace the income again. So, you know, it, it, I felt like I really was turning in, in circles for, for some time. And then finally I got to a point where uh, I felt things were going okay. I met uh, what I thought the perfect man. He only had two major flaws. One, he was a pathological liar and an alcoholic. Oh my. And so... I ended up being a single mom with a one-year-old, and uh, then we had this huge earthquake back here in Los Angeles in the 90s, and I um, lost my job as a result of it, and suddenly I'm an entrepreneur with a small child, single mom, immigrant. And I have to say that that's really what started this whole decade of bad luck, Cammie, that that I, I share so often because, you know, now you, you, you have to make it work. So I'm, I move into a place that I know is going into foreclosure until, you know, I, I get thrown out. I, you know, but I, I'm, I'm, I have perseverance and it's a survivor mode and completely survivor mode. And finally I, I bring up my business to, you know, about a million dollars in revenue. I run a half a million dollar still photography business. People come from all over the world to produce with, with my company here in Los Angeles. And, you know, people like Mercedes-Benz and BMW and Levi Strauss. Um, and we, we, you know, they come here to fly in here with, and I put the malls and the castings and the locations and everything together. And the other part was we uh, were representing several photographers and we worked with models back you know, in the days when Cameron Diaz was a, a model, mm-hmm. uh, we hired her or, or some of the people that actually became quite famous, you know, were, were, were started out as models back then. And then one day, um, and I'm sure you can relate to that and possibly a lot of your listeners can too, I have this feeling, this really unsettling feeling that right. something was not right. So something in your gut, your intuition was telling you something wasn't right. Absolutely. And I had to let my executive assistant or my number one employee go. And I find out later that I fired her two weeks too late. So she had come up with this great plan to run her own business with my key vendor. It was basically just my business without me. And so I did what... 
I did what people often do when they have to be right, and I certainly fell in that category back then. I needed to be right. I'm German after all, you know. I mean, how can you know? I was right, so <laughs> therefore, therefore, I mean, you know, somebody must 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 ask for you know the right thing to be done. So I sued him, and I'm involved in this like crazy lawsuit. What I didn't know that. You know, when the attorney says, I need this $5,000 retainer or the $10,000 retainer, that really only gets you one letter. And then the attorney comes back and says, well, I need another 5000 another right. $10,000 because I need to write another letter. And then there's another letter and another letter and another letter. And suddenly, you know, you just ran, you just go way you deep into, into it. That. Remember, way deep into it. And then I realize it's now uh, September is coming around my production season. Is about to start. I have about a half a million dollars in work volume on my books. I'm looking forward to it. And then September 11th comes and mm. it wipes out my production business in 24 hours. It all comes it to a stop. Over. Completely. Wow. With the towers, yeah. so did my business crash to the ground mm-hmm. and shatter mm-hmm. into pieces. Mm-hmm. I mean, and never to be, never to be recovered. And then I keep kept fighting, but now, you know, I really had no income at all whatsoever. So I, I keep fighting, I keep fighting. And then finally, uh, we settling the case and I, you know, I get my settlement payment and after it's all said and done, it comes out to zero. Oh, it just balances out. I my debt. It balances uh, out. I mean, I could have just like not done this and right. focus on something else right. and it would have had this the same outcome. Right. So here I am now. I have a great idea about this business that I'm starting or, you know, had already be- begun to start about stock talk syndication for architecture and interior, providing these images. Like when you go to the bank and you see the image behind the counter that says need a loan to refinance your house. And it's a beautiful home. That might've been my image. Okay. We provided the the brand leading image for a major real estate company or when you go to uh, get the paint brochures and they show you all these different interior colors for all these houses, that might be images that we provided. And so I, I, I'm building this up, but I have no money and I have to digitize content. You know, again, I'm going into that 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, $80,000, Ouch. And I'm, I'm I'm going, it's getting real uncomfortable here and I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. So I fly to Europe to uh, drum up some business, to make some connections, get a contract. And my father has a stroke, but my father Uh did not have a stroke. My father had metastasized cancer, tumors in his brain from pancreatic cancer, and he dies within only six weeks. So I am at the grave in Germany on this on this first day of spring and it's really cold and it's still snowing a little bit. I get a phone call at the grave. It's my office. And they say, well, we've just been served a notice. So now the house that I was living in and working out of, you know, was sold to the new landlord and he was just trying to find a reason to get me out. So now we're losing now. So I'm standing there and, you know, we always talk about the signposts, the finding moments kinds of things. Well, that certainly was because clearly something that I was doing, wasn't you know forced right. me to completely stop everything. Right. So I fell you on know my what's really you know I, what's really interesting there, Beate, is that when I found my way into this work that I'm doing today, 
Um, I was in the corporate world. I got laid off. My you know rug kind of got pulled out from underneath my feet. And a month later, my father passed away. So that that you know that that personal connection to you know a family member like that can so change everything, change our viewpoints. It can change. It it can help us see things more clearly. Wouldn't you say? Yes, and, and, and I think what it is is like um, we talk about sometimes worst-case scenarios, and, you know, that was my worst-case scenario. I don't right. think it could have gotten any worse. That was my best friend. That was my confidant, my biggest supporter. That was the man that thought every idea I've ever had, no matter what <laughs> crazy idea I had, was amazing. The man who always, always said, you know, let's, let's, let's drink a beer and talk about it yeah. in good old German fashion. So, uh, you know, the, the, and, and suddenly you don't have that anymore. And it's, 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 it's very, very, um, isolating was, I felt very alone. And remember, you know, I'm in debt, I'm losing my house. I'm right. Um, uh, you know, my business, everything my business is falling well. apart. I don't right. Need, every, everything is falling apart. But in the meantime, you know, this is sort of part of the, the signpost question when you uh, talked to me about our interview today that I thought about really the sign signposts along the way always tell you just be ready just in case because mm-hmm. we can we have an op- option not to dwell on the stuff that happens to us or we can take this as an opportunity to say it's not always going to be like that and I'm going to change I'm going to now um, prepare so I wrote a business plan in all of this and I wrote the business plan after, you know, my daughter went to bed at night until midnight and all weekends and every Saturday and every Sunday. And so I was so desperate that I wrote a letter to the president of the United States saying, uh-huh. listen, um, Mr. President, and it was George W. Bush. I said, dear Mr. President, you always talk about the small business being the backbone of the American economy, I said, but, you know, September 11th, I've been betrayed. This is what's happened. I can't get on my feet. You know, now I'm giving you a real-life opportunity to prove that what you say is actually true and you mean it. What did I have to lose? That's right. How brave And how brave and courageous that was to do that. Well, I really only did it because my former mother-in-law just would not be quiet about it. She just kept <laughs> talking about, why don't you write a letter to the president and is your president? And I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to make this woman like... Oh, that's funny. That's okay, funny. I'm, so there's the universe pushing the, you, I'm right? Gonna, Saying, go do this. Go do post, this. Right? right, exactly. Right. Oh my God, she was on my case nonstop. So I finally said, that's it. That's enough of it. I'm going to write the letter. That way she won't bring it up again. So little did you know, I get a letter from the White House, and uh, the letter said that um, the deputy chief director of the Small Business Administration here in Los Angeles is just absolutely delighted to hear from you. And I'm like, whoa, what's going on now? And I got a meeting at the SBA, you know, right there on the top. And so I went in with my business plan, which I had written, and my portfolio and my samples, and I sat down, and we talked about it, and he says, I'm going to put in what you put in. And so I got the SBA to underwrite my, uh, restructure my business plan, under, you know, find me a bank to underwrite my loan, and I freed up my, my, my debt. It was right. all restructured in, in, in one loan, and it freed up my line of credit. 
And with my Frida Blana credit, I was able to get through the next three months, which is all I needed to get to break even. Ah. And then from my worst moment to my best moment, it was only 18 months. So then I became the world leader in my category, uh, delivering home stories of celebrities because I did not know when I built my business that you know, talk about signposts, signposts, signposts. I didn't know that the best architectural and interior photographers, of course, worked with the best architects and the best interior designers who do what? Oh, that's right, design celebrity homes. So next thing I know, I get Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Terry Hatcher, Simon Baker, uh, Julian Moore. I mean, you name them. All these home stories came flying on my desk. And the guy said to me, hey, do you know how to sell these? Uh, I was a photo editor at Elle magazine, remember? So I'm like, well, <laughs> and you, you said yes. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I do. And so I you. took that and we made so much money with it. And we became so well known for these at-home stories. And that's what attracted the Gates company. And they said, um, we are interested in knowing how you do it. I said, I'm not telling you nothing. You have to buy me. And they did. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. And it's what I love is, is all of the courageous steps that you took along the way where you were, you know, can you do this? Sure. I can do this. And that's, you know, and just believing in that, that truth of yourself. Um, It's a a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. It's definitely a great story retroactively. It was hard. It was 10 years. Uh, you know, to get through all of that, it was really brutal. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, I don't think you, I don't think it would be here if I wouldn't have mustered up the courage. Really. Yeah. Where, where did the courage come from? Uh, probably stubbornness more than anything, mm-hmm. if I'm really honest about it. Yeah. Because I, I have this belief that if I'm going to go down in flames, it's not a match. It will be an inferno. Mm-hmm. And if I drown, it's not in the puddle. It's going to be in the middle of the ocean. So if I, if I do it, I may as well do it, do it right. And I felt that, you know, when, when I had my defining moment and I fell to my knees and I screamed at God and I said, you know, I'm a good person. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't take advantage of people. I give. I do the right thing. I raised a good kid. I did my very best on everything. I just couldn't believe that the joke was going to be on me. I think that was really my surviving belief, and that's where the courage came from. I said that something must come out of this at the end of it. It's not just simply not possible that you put all of this in and you you do all the right steps and you kept just to be punished right. all along. Something had to come out. And when my ship came in and it was a multi-million dollar deal, um, was it all worth it? Yes. But okay. it was really the um, audacity to not give up and just the, the complete stubbornness to say, I am staying the course no matter what. Something is going to come out of it. Right. And it's, you know, I like I always like to believe that life is not happening to us, but it's it's happening for us. It's it's opening up the, a pathway and we don't always know where it's taking us. And hell, sometimes it's really difficult to figure out, you know, how are we getting to this other side? Where is this going? You don't ever see it. But um, that that persistence that you talk about certainly helped you get through all of that. That stubbornness. 
Yes, absolutely. And, you know, for, for those of your listeners that might be in a situation where it's really tough right now, what helped me more than anything was that I decided that I was going to only worry about money twice a month, which ah. is when I have to pay bills. Uh-huh. And that's it. And because I, I couldn't give it any more energy. So if there is a really difficult element in in your life right now, then it is good to give it the allocated time to worry about it. And then you're just going to have to be disciplined and stop worrying about it because you can't change it. And yes, it's always going to be there, but you have to be disciplined to take your energy and shift it to something that you have control over because there are things that we may not have any control over at this very moment in time. It's just not the time for it yet. That's what was sort of my saving grace. That's a, that's a great advice. I think, you know, that, that energy of worry around money can be so detrimental to people. It can just, it, it can just become all consuming. So I think that's a great advice. Look at it twice a month and, and then go work hard in between and put your, in, put your energy, you know, a good positive resonating energy out into the world versus a, a lacking. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's very well put. Yeah. So when I was reading your book this weekend over Memorial Day weekend, which was great to pick it up and, and play in it. Um, one of the things you talk about that really jumped out at me was the seven steps to make your career happen now was your number seven. Know when to change things to stay put or when to move on. So how do you, you know, this is just such a dilemma that so many of my clients find themselves in mm-hmm. as they're making that big decision to, to move, to jump, to stay. I would love to hear your insights on this. How do you know when it's time to move? Well, I, I think the simplest way I can describe it is if the pain of staying where you are is greater then your fear of changing, then you're ready to move. Yeah. If your pain level hasn't increased hard enough yet for you to wanting to make the change, you may not be making the change. I mean, at least that's what I've found with a lot of people. So the, the mechanics of it on how you kind of get your head around it is in the women's code, we use the three pillars of the women's code. And the first is awareness, the second is support, and the third is collaboration. So in awareness, we we shine the light on sort of what is, right? And this is, I think, where a lot of women especially are very critical with ourselves where we make all these judgments of where we should be and what we could have done differently. You know, and it's myself included. It's a, it's a lifelong discipline to not exactly. keep yourself up too hard. So in awareness, we should say, what's going on? Where am I at? What does it feel like? And we literally just take so if it's uncomfortable, if you're unhappy, if if you really feel you're destined for more, you're probably right. You know, right. something needs to change. Right. The second pillar in support then says, am I being supported in what, where I am right now? And especially, again, women, for some reason, just letting other people support us. Uh, you know, and I purposely don't use the word help because I don't think women necessarily need help. I think women need more support than anything else. So if I'm getting supported by those around me and I can give direct guidelines or encouragement on how I need to be supported, then um, then I probably have more courage to do the things that I need to do. And in the same token, support goes both ways. Am I also making sure that I'm supporting those people who are around us? 
uh, around me because, you know, we wanted to be the infinity sign. We wanted to go back and forth and back right. and forth. And right. if the first two pillars are in place, awareness and support, then, of course, collaboration is much, 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 much easier. And so to go back to the, you know, making your career happen, it's like how do you know when to change things uh, to stay put or to move on? It really is if you feel and I, if you feel that voice and it tells you you are underutilized mm. you're not running at your full potential mm-hmm. that's usually a pretty good indicator to move on yeah. the next one is if you um you know if you start feeling sick nauseous or you have physical symptoms when you go to work or when you're around certain people at work that's usually a pretty good sign because it's already manifesting itself <laughs> in a great, physical symptoms that's a great one yes I'm sure you see this a lot, the headache and the stomach issues, the indigestion, the holding on to all the food, the weight gain. Yeah. Yeah. I see it a lot. And I actually, when I was back in my corporate days, there was there, I was experiencing all those sorts of things. You know, when, when I was getting my signposts at times, things were supposed to be changing and, and, and going in a new direction. Um, and you know, so often we ignore those, those sorts of things. Yes, and that's that's it. You know, so the, that's why I said the pain becomes eventually so big that the pain is greater to stay versus the pain to move on. Right. And um, and for some people, the pain is a, a serious health issue. It's a um, you know, or it is it it's it's you get fired or something else. But if you don't move on these things, usually the movement will be made. You're just not going to be charged the movement. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say it, it's easier to move and on your own and plan where that movement's going to happen versus um, letting it happen because you're ignoring all, all the signposts. Yeah. You want to be the player, not the chess figure. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, Tell us, you also talk about knowing what makes us happy is an important piece, um, you know, because so many people don't know what makes us happy. Um, can you can you share what makes you happy in your life today? What makes your heart skip and dance and sing? Um, and just tell us why it's so important to know what makes us happy. Well, first of all, it's important to really find out what, what, what that is. So um, I find more... Mo- so often the conversation is, you know, a man says, to us, well, what do you want? Or what do you want me to do? Or where do you want to go? Or, where do you want to go to dinner? What would you like for your birthday? And for some reason, we can't answer that. So if I ask a five-year-old right now on a nice hot summer day, what would make you really happy right now? What do you want right now? It will take a five-year-old, what? All in all, three couple seconds. seconds yeah. yeah, they'd be like yeah. lemonade or popsicle or let's go run around. Right. And, and what a small, fun little thing. Right. So number one, what makes us happy? I think we need to step away from happiness, being expecting that that is like one big thing that, you know, the better relationship or more fun at work because that's, that's so vague and so far out there. So happiness is the small things and it's the focus on 
the little, you know, and you call them signposts, the little signposts. What would make you happy, you know, right at this very moment? Is it the nice cup of tea with a nice cookie? Is it that, you know, that velvet cake? Is it a healthy protein shake? Is it going for a workout? What is that thing that would make you happy right now? It doesn't have to be happy for perpetuity, but what are the things, the small things in life that make you happy sitting outside in your backyard, going around the block, connecting with your with your loved one, having a phenomenal intimate night with your significant other uh, where you really deeply connect going to see that movie or just binge watching all day it, it, there's so many different things that could make us happy but you know we just have to decide that they that to we are ready for it. them yeah and make and make and make that space for it so i say in my book happy woman happy world i say it doesn't have to be anything big it could be something as simple as a cup of tea which nice. you know which works for me everything every single time and what makes me personally happy is i love being outside so i um, skiing for me, there's always this moment when I go skiing for the first time in the season and you go up on the chair and you hear that when, you know, when the, when the chair goes over the rollers. And to me, that is just sort of that noise, that sound that sets me right back to when we used to go skiing as kids and everything is so quiet and it's so pretty. Everything is in white. Um, So that's something that just makes me incredibly happy and connecting with my, with my man, like good one-on-one time makes me happy. Going on hikes makes me very happy. Being at the beach makes me very happy. So, and sometimes, you know, just staying at my own house and just enjoying my, my, my beautiful home makes me happy. So it's always in the small things that I yeah. believe we find more yeah. happiness than in the big things. Yeah, I, I love, we share a lot of the same um, things that make us happy. It's in fact, over the weekend, I got a whole day of just going on a hike with my loved one, going, you know, we 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 went down by a Creek and we kind of played around down there. There was a labyrinth to walk around. We lay down and we took a little nap on the shore after our long hike that we had taken. And it was just such a fabulous reminder of how that can light us up. I mean, even I was, my husband took a a picture of me uh, at the Creek and I was just, I could just tell, I just had this glowing happiness about me. And uh, so it's, it is such the simple things that can make us happy if we just tune into those moments and know what those are. Yes, yes, absolutely. And that's really the encouragement I have for everybody that I, I try to um, get a glimpse of it when people say, well, how did you do that? Well, it's a moment at a time, really. It's always a moment at a time. Being aware each moment and making the choices for it, you know, just, just to do that extra, you know, if that makes me happy, enjoy it, go do it. Yes. But you need to figure out if it makes you happy. So, you know, there's what is that the famous scene in the Julia Roberts, Richard Gere movie where he says, so you don't even know how you like your eggs. And then we see her in the kitchen and she's doing sunny side and scrambled and all kinds of ways. Sometimes it takes that to figure out what right. makes you happy. Try different right. things. Yeah, absolutely. So you and I share a passion for empowering women. And I know you founded the Women's Code to do this. Can you tell us more about the Women's Code? Yeah, so the Women's Code was designed because I felt that there is very little sort of straightforward, honest information out there that just says to women, look, 
I've been through this. This is how it is. And here are your choices. If you have kids early, this is what's going to happen. If you have kids late, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen to your body when you're 50. <laughs> this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just that let's just be real about it. And I have always been interested in leadership, especially because I've been, you know, entrepreneur and I uh, have, you know, raised my daughter as a single mom. That's a whole other layer when you're a single parent yes. because you don't get invited I share to that the table. You. you know, you're, mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're a social outcast. So, um, you know, I, I was like, number one, I found that women really don't support other women very often, especially not when we're younger. It changes when we get older because we realize and how silly that was all along and how much time we wasted. But um, it took me until I was, what, 40 to figure out that I really needed other women and I really liked other women. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and then you go like, man, I just wasted like 30 years of my life in, you know, playing into all this nonsense that we hear on TV and on social. Other women are jealous of you. They're too busy with themselves to be jealous of you. Uh, other, you know, other women are this, other women are that. I found that other women are just like we are. They are unhappy with the way they look. They would like to do things differently. They have one skill set that they're really good at and maybe nine that they're not so good at. They're just different than yours. So I wanted to create the Women's Coach to give women literally a code on how to get along with each other. And I wanted to especially reach corporate America and organizations and bring balanced leadership to uh, corporate America. And what what I mean when I say balanced leadership is I have this really big idea that in order for us to really achieve equality and the diversity that we we all dream about, especially women, you know, we, we dream of a world that's equal. Yes. We first have to bring the women up and create a, you know, sort of that balance. And then we can focus on each person's individual strength, regardless of gender, race, or belief system. And mm-hmm. so in the Women's Code, the big idea is that I am designing these sliding leadership scales for organizations where, and you can do that for teams and groups where you literally say, well, what are the core values, mission, and vision for this organization? And how do I, uh, how do I establish based on that the leadership attributes for this company that literally range from female centric to male centric? Mm-hmm. And then I can give this to the whole organization or the team and say, our team is based on these leadership attributes. Which, which of those resonate with you? And then each person in the team or in the organization can then choose from these sort of a 10 attributes, the three that resonate with them the most, and then they can run at 100% and be at their very strongest. That's the big idea of the Women's Code. Oh, that's, that's great. And it's, and it's, what it sounds like to me is, is this is really letting people tune into who they are at their very best and bring the best of them to the, to the team, to the table. Yes. And I, I believe in strength-based leadership. So if I were to, if I were to say one thing, is, you know, when people always go like, well, you're really not good at math. You really need to get better at math. Why? Uh, if you're not good at, you know, the, the grammar, but you speak it okay, 
why do you have to be better at it? Why not focus on the stuff that you're really good at and get people on your team that are really good at the stuff you're not good at, that, but they'd love it. Right. You know, so, so I think it, it, it would make a much better world if instead of trying to measure ourselves at, you know, whatever the, the 100 things that we believe we all must have and then beating ourselves up over the, the 40, we are okay, but not great. And instead of focusing on the 60 that we are absolutely amazing at, so yeah. why not have more fun with the 60? Uh, I so agree with that. And it's, it's, that's exactly where, where I take my, my coaching clients through. It says, who are you at your very best? What are your strengths, your passions, your values? What do you want to stand for? You know, let's get the essence of who, who you are at your very essence and then go apply that in a way that, that is meaningful for you. And if you can do that in the workspace, I think that's a, um, you know, I, I love to do teamwork where you're, you know, you're a bringing the best skill sets of everybody to the table because that makes a team so much better versus putting everybody on the team that's exactly the same. Yes, you're absolutely right. And that we often forget and that we are not being taught, especially girls are not taught right. that we, we are playing in teams and in groups and that we all have something unique to share that need to be brought to the table. I do believe that you know, traditionally speaking, the teams are more geared toward men because men strive to be team leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it, I think it's more innate in that track to kind of pay attention to uh, individual attributes. But it will only take a small shift for women and us as mothers to teach our children that there is really such a thing as strength-based leadership and it applies to women too. Right. Oh, it absolutely does. I, I saw your report that you did, uh, Why Acting Like a Girl is Good for Business, The Seven Profit Secrets of Diverse um, Gender Diverse Corporations. And one of the things, it's funny because some of the, the statistics you pulled out in there, I actually included some of those same statistics in my first podcast when I launched this podcast series. Um, and it, it is about how when you bring more women to the table, um, how it changes profit, profitability of, of the companies, um, how it, it shifts cultures. And um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So the, the interesting thing about uh, equality diversity is that we, we now have the numbers, and the numbers are really share, uh, showing very clearly that when we bring women on board and we have at least, you know, two to three women on on a board, any kind of corporate board, that the the profits of the organization and the study I think you're referring to is the one with the financial right. the financial mm-hmm. sector, mm-hmm. and it, the, the the return on investment was up sixty percent over the companies that didn't have women on board. Right. So the numbers are so convincing, and the numbers are so strong and indisputable that. Any company that doesn't pay attention to it, they're just idiots. I mean, yeah. you can't really say it any, any other way. There is no reason to not bring women in because it, it is a game changer. And one of the examples that I talk about when I, when I speak to my uh, corporate clients uh, or, you know, like I speak at Merck Pharmaceuticals again in June and uh, just spoke at the women of Silicon Valley, I talk about that when you think about when airbags first were brought out and 
uh, the airbags had to be immediately pulled off the market, and there was huge problems because they they seriously injured or killed women and children. Do you think that there was one woman on that engineering team when right. they designed airbags? Right. Because if there would have been a woman on the team, then the woman would have said, I am not 5'11", and I'm not 180 pounds. Right. So don't make that airbag geared for somebody who is of that size and that height. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one woman could have made the billion-dollar difference right. in, 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 this, in this endeavor and saved people's lives. So it's, 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 it's dumb not to do it. And so acting like a girl is good for business, and I called it that way specifically, a little, you know, just right. to make everybody right. on a little bit. Right, <laughs> exactly. It really is good for business. It is good because that's, we're tuning into our natural wisdom, our natural intuition, our natural as a, um, as a consumer in, you know, of products that, that companies are making. Um, and then, you know, we also are the ones that do a, a majority of the buying. So it's, it certainly makes so much sense from all perspectives to bring women more into, um, leadership roles and, um, to the table. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And we, you know, and that's why it needs all of us. We don't want to be, sensitive about this and say, well, you know, what does she have? And I don't believe, you know, her, her message. I believe that every one of us who is in this space, and I'm going to say this controversially, um, you know, even I had this conversation with my team this morning about Ivanka Trump and, you know, I have grave concerns about the the current administration and where we're going, especially with diversity and equality. And mm-hmm. while I don't make this political, I will say that especially women that, you know, may have a different upbringing than we have or have different sets of belief systems or they, you know, have relatability issues just because they come from a completely, from a completely different, uh, different point of view. But we can certainly include them in the conversation yes. as well and participate in, in that at all. Yes, I so agree with that. I just, in fact, I just came this morning. I was at a board meeting for the Women's Foundation of Colorado, and we were um, talking about the importance of bringing um, women together in community from all walks of life because it, that that all women together can can be stronger when you're bringing people of means and people who need support and people who want to get involved and engaged and um, you know, so you can bring women together in community in that sort of a way. And it's, we see things through a different lens when you start getting all of the players at the table. And that is exactly the perfect message, Cammy. I couldn't have said this any better. It is about getting every side to the table because that's what we are upset when we talk to men. Mm-hmm. That's what we are upset about when we talk right. to men because they only want to talk about their point of view. Right. That means that we cannot do the same thing and exclude anyone. Exactly. Ex- including takes, the men, right? It takes, yeah. Yes, exactly. It takes everybody. Yeah. And especially when we disagree, it means that there's something in there that we don't understand yet. Right. No, that's so good. 
That's so good. Well, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate this. Uh, I will, before we close up today, what I would love to hear are three pearls of wisdom that you can leave with our audience. Of course. So my first, uh, my, my, my first little pearl would probably be um, make, make sure you take care of yourself, yes. but in the sense, do one thing that makes you happy every day. And mm. even if it's that cup of tea we talked about, or mm-hmm. if it's that, uh, the, the binge watch uh, at night of your favorite show or five pages of a book or the five minute meditation or whatever it is, but do one thing every day that makes you happy and make it a conscious thing to make you happy. Otherwise yeah. it's no good. Right. If you're just kind of Number blowing two, over and not being mindful about it, you're not really, exactly. you have to take the moment. It's not go, making you happy. No, right. then it's just another thing to do. We don't want that. And, and, and number two, um, make it about the people really make it it's not business it's always about the people you make you do business with people you are uh your family's people your friends are people it's all people so make it always about the people it'll it'll give you better business and better and stronger connections and my my third piece would be uh pay it forward Mm. that when 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 one of us shatters the ceiling you must share the information. It, yes. it doesn't matter how difficult or, uh, or, or or challenging it might be, but you must share the information. Oh, I, I so agree with that one. Thank you for that. Thank you for all three of those. And thank you for this interview. So how can um, women find out more about you and your work? Of course. So number one, you can go and uh, go to Amazon and get a copy of Happy Woman, Happy World, my book, which is available as audiobook, ebook, and a printed book. Then you can check out my website, thewomenscode.com. We are just doing our final rebranding. And so there'll be, there, there's goodies on the sides and some interesting information. We are all about gender equality and engage in live events. We have a LinkedIn group called the Women's Code. So check that one out for those of your listeners who are having their own businesses. Check out our other group, which is entrepreneur and small business owners on, on LinkedIn as well. And then we have a Facebook group. A Facebook page, uh, Women's Code, as well, and we also have a YouTube channel uh, under uh, under Beata Chalette, and our Twitter handle is Egorism. So go ahead and connect with us. We really have made a big effort, you know, following my own advice. Make it about the people. I brought on a social media person because I really find that the dialogue is more and more important. And I want to hear from all of your listeners to connect with us and say hello. Okay. Thank you so much for, for your time today. And it's been a pleasure. And um, um, I can't wait to share this with the tribe. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Cami. Okay. Bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGilner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. 
In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.